When I think about cleaning, I, I think about my son Jake, who's now 26 in Tallahassee, Florida. And I think about um, how when I used to send him to the bathroom to get his bath at night, how I swear to you he would go in there and he would walk around the tub, avoiding the shower for 15 or 20 minutes, and then come out as dirty, if not dirtier than he was before, because now he just smudged the dirt, you know? And it's just, I can't help but go there in my mind. It's amazing to me that that little kid who avoided baths is going to have a child in January. And that next weekend, the gender of said grandchild will be revealed. So um, I just love living in a millennial world. You know, millennials are great. They celebrate everything, and it's so cool. So we're, we're going to celebrate our grandchild's gender next weekend. So pray for us. I pray that Jake will have another dirty boy who won't take baths. Now, is Jesus talking about bathing as in cleanliness? I mean, is the, are the Pharisees into hygiene and Jesus and his disciples not? Of course not. You know this. This is, this is fairly elementary. We, we know that Jesus is not advocating for not, not washing of your hands and things like that. It's about ceremonial cleaning. It, you, you see, when, when we do communion, uh, we have a little bowl called the lavabo bowl, and the priest will wash their hands ceremonial, ceremonially, recognizing the sin of our own lives and our need to be cleansed by Christ and the water that cleanses us. But, and this is what they were dealing with, they were, they were into lots of ceremonial washings. They took very, very seriously uh, Exodus 30, for instance, which talks about cleansing oneself before you enter into worship as a, as a visual reminder that we have sin that we need to have dealt with before we can enter into God's presence, before we can worship a holy God, we have to deal with the sin of our own lives. But they had carried it to the nth degree. They, they had created this fence around the law, as Sarah Labar uh, Hall says, uh, the bishop's daughter, but also a, a wonderful Old Testament theologian. She says that, that they came back from the exile, that is the children of Israel, and they so wanted to avoid going back to exile, back to Babylon, that they created this huge wall, this fence around God's law so that they wouldn't get near God's, breaking God's law. And they, they created this whole system of ritual uh, rules that prevented them from getting anywhere near God's laws and breaking them. They thought. But Jesus points out the hypocrisy. They, they have created this wall and they're concerned with cleanliness, they're concerned with ceremonial washing, but they're in fact neglecting the very commandments of God. In this particular situation, Jesus calls out the, the honoring of father and mother, the fifth commandment, the command that we're to care for our mother and father that our days may be long on the earth. Commandment which I commend to you is still uh, required our, our attention. We need to care for our parents. Uh, as they grow older. We need to be attentive to our families. It shouldn't be left on the church to care for people who have children uh, in, you know, alive. I, I, I remember, I can remember uh, people dying and it wasn't a family member at their bedside, it was a member of our congregation, which praise God that we could be there, but it's an issue. And, and there's a, a right command that needs to be adhere to, but this pharisaical system had so built this wall, this fence around all the commandments in thinking that they were being holy and righteous and in fact were neglectful of the commands of God in favor of their own traditional laws. 
Jesus sees it and he points it out pointedly. He calls them hypocrites. Why do you hear so many non-Christians talking about hypocrites? Well, Jesus brought it up. So they're, you know, they're concerned about hypocrites. Jesus is concerned about hypocrites. We need to all be concerned about hypocrites. What did Isaiah say? He said this, this people, he's talking about Israel. This people, they, they honor me with their lips. They give me lip service, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. Vain worship. That is the thing we should most desire not to have. It's what Israel actually wanted. They, they, had, they had fallen into so many idolatries when they were, when they were back before, when, after they were brought into the promised land and before they, they went into the Babylonian captivity, which are the two major events of the Old Testament. Uh, and in and, and that time period, they had fallen into so many idolatries. Places like Baal Peor that was read in our first lesson, where, they, where, where Israelites actually began to worship the god Baal. The Israelites were, were, were committed to avoiding idolatry. And yet, they were neglecting the commands of God. They were building a fence around it and, and puffing themselves up, feeling very good about themselves because of how they looked in comparison to other people. They, they didn't hang out with the riffraff, the other sinful Jewish people, and definitely not with the sinful Gentile people beyond them. They... They lived separate, set-apart lives and thought themselves really good and righteous. Jesus sees right through it. He sees that they have created this system that they can perform and look good and yet and feel self-righteous about and yet not be convicted of their own sinful desires. So what does Jesus do? He teaches on what defilement is. He says, you want to talk about what it means to be defiled, to be unclean? I'll, I'll tell you what it means to be unclean. And he gives this, this important passage where he begins to say to, the, to the, the listeners, the people that he's drawn together, recognizing this is the, the problem of all of us. To superficially understand sin. To think it's about not you know, swearing and doing, chewing tobacco and uh, not cussing and, um, you know, not going out with girls that do or, you know, that kind of, you know, but it's, that it's, that it's about this superficial understanding. And Jesus says, no, let me explain to you about defilement. Defilement isn't what goes into you. It's what comes out. And in so doing, Jesus is correcting the Pharisees, but he's also saying something to each of us about the nature of sin, the the depravity of human beings, the pervasive depravity. Now, again, you know, we we always, throughout the last few weeks, seems like we keep stumbling on these words that invoke all sorts of thoughts in terms of, you know, uh, Calvin and ideas of total depravity. Total depravity, sorry, can't even get the word out now. But, uh, but I like the word pervasive depravity because it, it denotes this idea that it's not that, that, that non-Christians are incapable of doing anything good, that we aren't capable of doing anything good. It simply means that with whatever we do in our attempts to be good, there's always a flaw. There's always, 
uh, a presence of this broken, sinful, rebellious nature that's at work in us. Augustine, the great saint of the church, Augustine of Hippo, lived in northern Africa in the 5th century. Augustine says that, that we are, that our, our love is disordered. Our, even our affections towards God are disordered. And so when we attempt to do good for God, even in that, we are disordered and it's twisted and we, we go about it in the wrong way. And he, he sees exactly what, where the heart of the Pharisees is to, to, to attempt to do those things for God is in itself a depravity. Jesus says it's, it's from the heart that, that evil thoughts come, that, that sexual immorality, that, that all the things that he goes on to say, that they come from within the heart. Now, how hard is it for me to, to contemplate that this, this little perfect grandchild that's going to be born in January is going to have that same sinful nature, that same bentness towards sin and rebellion, that same depravity, that same defiled spirit. It's not very popular to talk about. We want to truly believe that, that basically people are good, they're inherently good, and that we're simply not well-educated or we've made bad choices or we simply need to live lives that are more self-controlled and that through our own effort we can improve ourselves. Well, it sounds a lot like a friend of mine from the 5th century, Pelagius. You know Pelagius? He had a whole thought surrounded by him. It's called Pelagianism. It's basically a heresy of the early church. Father James knows about it. He taught about it a couple of years ago. Pelagius too believed that he was, uh, he was, he was disgusted by this idea of original sin, that, that there's this sinful nature within us, that, that, that the teaching of Jesus would actually mean that each of us has evil in our heart and that it comes out and manifests itself and all the things that are said here in Mark chapter 7. So Pelagius began to say, you know, really, sin is about bad choices and if you've made bad choices, then you can make good choices and you can be re-educated and you can learn self-control and so, therefore, move towards human perfection. Pelagius' ideas became really popular, right, James? And uh, because it did the very thing that all of us want to do, it avoided the sheer reality of our sinful state. You see, Tim Keller says there's two ways that we can reject the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And be assured that we're getting to the good news here. The good news of Jesus Christ can be rejected in two ways. First, sinful rebellion is to say, you know what, I don't really care what God thinks, I'm going to live the way I want to live and take my chances. But the other way that we can turn away from the gospel is towards self-righteousness. Towards building a system, taking very seriously what God says, taking very seriously his commands, and yet thinking that somehow we can achieve human perfection. That we can better ourselves to the point where we become acceptable before a holy God. You say, well, that could never happen to me. Well, be aware that Pelagius is still with us, that desire to find our own way to 
better ourselves and to be pleasing to God is always lurking around. It's, it's the spirit of religion. Not a religious system that helps people understand the cause and purpose and nature of the world and the universe. I'm not talking about the, the, the grand definition of religion. I'm talking about a religious system in that we set up our own moral system by which we seek to curry God's favor, to be good enough. And I love what Tim Keller says. He says, you know, if you don't think it's there, imagine times in your lives where you've had really bad things happen to you. Illness, sickness, death, loss of relationships. Things didn't go your way, and I mean serious things. And your tendency was to cry out to God, God, this is unfair. Why would you do this to me? I don't deserve it. Hello, Pelagius, welcome back. You see, our own desire, though we may not even be aware of it, is to find ways to not be confronted with the, the sheer and utter grace that's needed in Christ, the depravity of our human soul. Isn't this fun to talk about? Jody said, what are you preaching on today? I said, sin. She goes, oh, you dropped me off at a different church? I said, sorry, this Uber driver only goes to one church. Jesus says it's, it's the human heart, not that he needs Solzhenitsyn to back him up, but Solzhenitsyn says, yes, the, the evil of the world runs through the heart of every human being. We are depraved. Now, for you, that may be depressing. For me, that's actually encouraging because I, I, I'm not surprised when people who seem to be moral and are upright and have their act together spiritually fall miserably, it's not at all surprising to me. As a matter of fact, it's exactly what Jesus is talking about. Within the human heart flows these evil desires. Jesus says, I, I have to give you this, this bad news in order for you to receive the good news. See, Jesus doesn't want to leave us there. The gospel passage today leaves us in this place of of, uh, you know, it's from the heart <laughs> that sin comes. What, what do we do? Well, you know the answer. It's Jesus. He's come and he has given us the very thing we need, which is not a little spiritual help, but sheer system-shocking, unmerited free grace. He's taken us... Paul says in Romans 5, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Maybe you die for a righteous person, but when we were at our worst, the problem is that some people sin, uh, you know, some people sin way out in front of them, you know. You can see it a mile coming, right? And you just go, oh man, that, that yeah, that depraved, there I can see it. Others of us, our sin drags behind concealed somewhat. But Christ says the human condition is that we are all before God as those with defiled hearts. Desperate need of cleansing. You see, if we empty the gospel of the bad news of the defilement of our hearts, the sin of our hearts, the evil is here, then we also rob the gospel of its good news. You see, if I'm pervasively depraved, even my best, most 
shiny religious efforts are tainted and fall short and conceal what's really behind it. A sense of pride, a desire to make myself look good in front of other people before God. If I, if I let go of that, then I see that God loved me not because I was good, but because He loved me, and that's His nature, to be merciful and gracious. Is it any wonder the gospel loses its power when we subvert from understanding the need for salvation, the sinfulness of our own hearts? Well, this morning I would just remind each of us that our desires to, to please God apart from Christ are always lurking there. To be aware of that, to be, to be mindful of it, and to constantly come back to the cross. Are you aware that we live in a culture that really has embraced this idea of the basic goodness of people that we're basically inherently good, and it, it objectifies evil and wrong as being out there. And it, it, it builds a system where if we think the right things and we say the right things and we do the right things, we take our garbage in on the right day after recycle day, you know, we're, and that we're recycling, and that we're doing, the, that we, we, that we are good and right and intrinsically good and that evil and badness and bad people are out there someplace. It's, it's incredible to me because then when people we don't think of as out there fall, we have to shift them from our categories, don't we? Oh, well, I thought they were a good person, but I guess they weren't. Bad lists. But it's all a post-Christian culture that, that wants to objectify sin as being out there. It's bad choices and lack of education. And it's about not having self-control. No, it's, it's about the darkness of our heart. Why did God give the law to Israel? Because he understood the defilement of the heart. Now, clearly, we can't keep the law which is what drives us to the cross. Not into a creation of a superficial system that makes us feel as if we somehow are meeting the bar even though we're not. We've just lowered the bar and then feel good about meeting it. And that way we don't get convicted of sin. Oh, I think I've gone to preaching now. Be aware of Pelagius. He's always present be careful that you aren't living a life in order to curry God's favor. Never lose sight of the fact that the gospel declares our, that we are always sinner and yet made saint by the grace of Christ and Him alone. Be aware that you and I are just as likely as the Pharisees to build fences around God's law in word acknowledgement of wanting to be good, holy people and yet oftentimes deceiving ourselves. 
unwilling to look at the sinful condition of our lives. We're just as likely to be self-centered, self-justifying. Be aware that the gospel declares that in Christ, he, Paul, who Paul says, has overcome powers and principalities and spiritual authorities. He has victory over our sinful nature as well that which would rule our hearts. But it is only through the acknowledgement of our need for Him and our desperate dependence upon Him and recognition. You see what's happened, I'm reading a book this last couple of weeks, this pastor is saying that, that what's happened is that, that, we've, we've so, that our culture is so built in this, this idea of, of, of what is righteous and good and right speech and right behavior and it's all externalized that we don't feel the need to even come to church anymore because in a lot of ways we who have left the church are morally superior to those you guys that are still showing up on Sunday morning and getting beaten up by passages and preachers like this. But you see the, you see the, you see Pelagius, you see the, 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 the Pharisees, we don't come here because we want to figure out how to be morally superior. We come here because we know we're spiritually bankrupt and we're in need of grace and we need to hear this message of the cross over and over and over again, week in and week out. What is the antidote to endless ceremonial washing or self-righteous practices that make us feel as if we don't have to deal with Jesus' teaching. It's, it's the font, it's the baptism that we walk past every morning. Ken's like, why can't we move that someplace else? I'm like, no, I, I want it to be in the way. I want it to be something you constantly have to step around and, and because we have to continually remember that it is through the waters of baptism that we've been made clean. Through Christ's one sacrificial death and resurrection, we have been made new in Christ and that we don't have to continue to work and strive to make ourselves good enough for God because Christ has made himself good enough for us. So, we come again, rotten sinners, defiled hearts, standing before a holy God, and we say, Lord, make us new. And from that, in the joyous recognition that Christ has come and has victory over sin and death, we, we are invited into a lively worship, not to earn God's favor, but to respond to his gracious act. And baptism reminds us of whose we are in Christ. Amen? Thanks be to God who gives us their victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Alleluia, alleluia.